and have the boldness to stand up and say, this isn't right. We have to do something about this. Welcome to Meant for This with Caroline J. Sumlin, a podcast to help you live boldly, fight for the freedom you are worth, and do the redemptive work in this world that we are all called to do. Here, we deconstruct systems, thoughts, and ideas that have been holding us all back from being everything we are called to be by having tough conversations that intersect faith, self-worth, social justice, mental health, motherhood, careers, and more. The goal? Change the world. One conversation, one act of resistance, and one person at a time, starting with ourselves. Why? Because you are meant for this life that you have been called to. Hey everyone, welcome back to Meant For This. Thank you so much for being with me today. Wherever you're listening to this, however you're listening to this, whether it's on the day that it releases or sometime in the future, I appreciate you being here. This episode is something that many of you all that follow me on social media and have been a part of my journey have been waiting for. I have been talking a lot about in the last year or so that I have been on a journey of deconstructing my faith. It is a journey that I never once imagined that I would be taking. I mean, if you had told Caroline two or three years ago that this would be where I'm at, I would have been like, you've got the wrong person, sis. Like, like, what are you talking about? Because I was, I mean, I have been such a devoted Christian for the majority of my life, but even especially when I when I said yes to the Lord, really dedicated my life to following him when I was in college, and from that moment just really got plugged into a local church and never looked back. It was the most involved with church I had ever been, but it was also the first time I had ever been a part of a church that was different than what I had grown up with. Growing up, I was a part of the black church. I went to a Baptist black church, historic black Baptist church in my hometown. And when I went to college, I went to an HBCU. So I was also around predominantly black people. And that worship experience at that university was also, it was kind of like you take historic black, black church traditions, but you just kind of modernize them or make them young. I mean, think if you if you know anything about gospel music, think what Kirk Franklin did in the 90s. It was the first time we had ever really heard a modernized or younger way to to worship. And that's kind of what you got at my university. And so I was, you know, plugged in there and, and attended the chapel there, which was, you know, very gospel centered, very black church centered, things of that nature. And then when I left college and I was looking for a church to go to, I wasn't necessarily drawn to attend a black church. I I had really just been getting into and getting getting introduced to some of those I guess you could say like white Christian musicians, I guess is the right word for it, or worship music. I had just been introduced to like Jesus culture and Bethel and Hillsong and and um me and a um 
oh, excuse me, I should say I and a couple of my friends went to a Jesus culture conference that was happening at the time, you know, back when we still met in person. And uh, it, it was at the time it really had rocked my world. It was, it was a, the first time that I had, had said, no, that's not true. That wasn't the first time because I had really great worship experiences at my university with that modernized worship experience. That was the first time I really ever let loose in worship was at my university. I had never done that growing up in the black church. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit, a little bit of that into the episode. But when I went to this conference, I really loved the way that I felt and loved the way that I had encountered the Holy Spirit. And I thought to myself, well, I want to attend a church like this. Like I like the fact that it was very multicultural. I liked the fact that the music was a little bit different. I had always had a respect and a and a and a love. A part of me has always loved kind of like that rock music. I, I list even though the majority of the music that I had listened to growing up was hip hop, R and B, soul, things of that nature. Um, predominantly black artists. I had also when I when I entered middle and high school begun listening to some artists that were not black and just in secular spaces. I really enjoyed Switchfoot. I really enjoyed uh, Lincoln Park. You know, I I enjoyed some of these more, I guess you could say, rock alternative bands. And to hear that in worship music was a refreshing at the time, like kind of a refreshing change. But I didn't realize it then. But I was also really just, what's the word I'm looking for? I was idolizing the white Christian experience and believing that that was the way to be a Christian and I needed to be that way. And that, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain more of that, but that's kind of like where I was coming from. And so for, you know, from 2012 until 2020, up until, you know, the pandemic halted everyone from being able to attend church. I was at church every single Sunday morning, like barely, I literally would miss a Sunday if I was sick. And that was it. Every single Sunday at church, serving early, serving late, being involved, going to the small groups, doing all the things that I was supposed to be doing, and believing every single word that I heard from the pastors and, and and ministers that were in that particular congregation and had really sculpted my life around what I believed to be a Christian life, okay? And I started to feel some type of way, probably 2019, 2020, but kind of brushed it off. And then when the pandemic hit and and forced everyone to not be able to attend church, that's when I really got to kind of sit down and reflect on the life that I had been living for the past, you know, eight years and ask myself, okay, what's going on here? How am I feeling? Why, why do I, why, what, what is it that's kind of tugging on me in the back of my mind? Or what, what is it that I'm what is it that I've been struggling with and why have I been feeling feeling weird lately when it comes to church? I didn't realize that there was anything out there called faith deconstruction or, or you know, that's the terminology that's been placed on this idea of realizing that some of the things that you have been learning were t- 
toxic theology or maybe there's church abuse or whatever kind of hurt has been brought on to you by being a part of, for, for the sake of this episode, Christian life, but I, I'm sure this can happen in any religion. That's the terminology that's been placed on this, but at the time I didn't I didn't know that. I, I, I wasn't aware. I just started to think to myself, okay, why am I feeling weird? Wh- like, what is this that's in my spirit that's making me feel like something just isn't quite right? That being said, let's talk a little bit about what faith deconstruction is. You may be listening to this and maybe you're not quite aware of it or haven't really come across anyone who has been deconstructing their faith, or maybe you've just seen it around and it seems like it's something that's trending and new and it's maybe as maybe you're a Christian and it rubs you the wrong way, or maybe you are someone that is actually kind of in the same space or same season, I guess, of life as I am and you are kind of deconstructing your faith, but you're still kind of feeling it out. Um, So I'm not an expert here. I, I really, I really am not an expert. But from my understanding, you know, faith, faith deconstruction, a lot of people, a lot of Christians that are, you know, very against ever just like questioning what you've been taught, questioning your faith, things of that nature are against faith deconstruction. There's a lot of really unhealthy and toxic sermons that have been shared online from from pastors that are talking about the new age and the you know those deconstructors and how you know everyone's going to hell and how dare they ever do such a thing and that they're demonic or or what have you and this is exactly why we are deconstructing because these types of messages this this type of theology is terrible and if anyone actually read their bible just read it verbatim would realize that this kind of this kind of theology, this kind of messaging is not biblical. And so much of what we have learned in the church is unbiblical or, or, or that scripture has been used and abused to communicate certain ideologies and certain beliefs that are not true to what the Bible says. I mean, you can, you can weaponize anything. Anything can be used as a weapon. You can take a scripture and twist it. You can, you know, take a belief or an ideology and twist it around. You can, again, you can you can weaponize anything. So I'm not surprised, of course. That's, I mean, we know that scripture was weaponized to justify enslavement of African people. We know that scripture has, was used to justify, you know, the, the colonization and the capture and the genocide of the indigenous peoples when white Europeans landed in the United States and stole that land. I believe that this movement is the, for lack of better words, I think that's just kind of, I, I, I feel like faith deconstruction is a movement. I don't think it's a trend. I think it is definitely a movement. And I think it's a movement that rightfully belongs to be here. And I think it's no surprise to God. And honestly, if you look at the history of religion, we've seen things like this before, like the, the Reformation of what I, I don't really remember when that was, but the Reformation is an example of that. And there are times in the Bible when toxic theology and beliefs, i.e. the Pharisees, had to be checked, right? Jesus checked religion and false idols and things that were done in the name of God that were, for the la- for lack of better words, complete trash. So because we are human and we are not flawless, of course, even our 
interpretation of God, an interpretation of the Bible and of Jesus and the way that we are supposed to worship him and live for him is open to a lot of wrongful, harmful practices. And because as the Bible says, you know, at the, at some, the, a man's heart is by itself evil unless walking with the spirit and truly walking with the spirit. And even when we walk with the spirit, we are still constantly wrestling and battling with our fleshly desires, quote unquote, um, that it's no surprise that we have this, these, we have these harmful, these harmful practices. I'm I'm kind of losing my words. I apologize, you guys. I was just interrupted during recording because my children had a meltdown. So, and my husband, anyway, I had to kind of go save the day. So (laughs) trying to get back on track with my thoughts, but, um, we have, it's no surprise that we have witnessed time and time again from the Bible itself until present day, the word of God, God himself being used and abused and weaponized for harm rather than for the, the, the purpose of, of Jesus and really what he intended. So I, I don't think that this is anything new. I think that this is just the latest of many historic times where people have said, you know what, er, back up. This doesn't seem right. This is, this is not, this is not the way that we were supposed to take this, this word or take this commandment or take this, this, this scripture and, and use it. it this is, this is, this is, this is not, this is not flying here. Um, I also am aware that some people deconstruct and they walk away from the faith entirely. And I want to say that, listen, I, I get it. I, I really do get it. And I've been close to that myself. I really do believe that it's just the feeling of the Holy Spirit inside of me and his protection and just the closeness that I was able to develop with the Holy Spirit on my own without church. I never used church as a crutch for my relationship with God. I always have pursued God outside of church and outside of what I see online or in a blog post. And I've always taken what has been taught to me and met met those things with scripture to see if I received those same lessons or revelations when I read scripture. So I've kind of always been one of those like analytical, somewhat critical, fact-checking Christians myself. And I've always put my relationship with the Lord and what I know from him directly to me. I've, I've always put that first over what I've been taught in church and things of that nature. And because of that, I believe that's why I haven't fully walked away from from believing. But I will say that I totally understand why so many people are like, forget this. I cannot be involved with this anymore. I cannot be represented by this. I cannot represent 
this, I don't have faith anymore. This all just seems like a big, just a, a, a big red flag to me. And I, I, I can understand that. And I, I want to fully state that no matter what you believe, you are welcome here. And my content is not going to be overly Christian like it has been. It, it, and I should say, like, as far as Christian speak, I used to believe that I had to speak Christianese and always be referring to the Bible in order to glorify God. And that is not the case at all. We glorify God when we love another human. We glorify God when we fight for justice. We glorify God when we walk with him and we just do what he says, right? And a lot of what he says may not have to do with scripture at all. It just may... It may be to, to stand up and fight for, you know, police reform for just a random example. And you don't have to quote scripture to do so. You can just do it um, to fight for liberation, to fight for humanity, kind of what I have evolved this brand to be. That's all me being obedient to the Lord. And that's all me doing this for his honor and his glory. But I don't have to overly speak Christian to prove myself to be glorifying God. And I will always make sure to, to encourage and to reassure everyone here, regardless of whether you are a Christian or not, or whether you have another religion that you practice or not, or you're deconstructing or not, or what have you, this is a space for you and everything I talk about here ha is everything I talk about here will always be relative to every human being because again it's about humanity it's not just about Christianity anymore and this is what God calls us to and no 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 that's not what you're going to get here anymore okay so I just want to kind of make that disclaimer for anyone that is listening to this and is in that position. If you've stumbled across faith deconstruction, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing about this, most of what people are deconstructing are those toxic theologies and beliefs and practices that they have been taught wrongfully during their childhood and young adult years. And that's that's where I'm at as well. I don't remember a ton of what I was taught in childhood when I when I was um you know, going to church in more of a black church setting. I really cannot remember what I was taught. But so so most of, most of what I have to go off of is my young adult years from college and, uh, you know, up until just a couple of years ago. And I, I've realized that so much of what I was taught, even though I just, like I mentioned, I've always kind of put things against scripture, but I still had, I was so heavily influenced by the things that my pastors and, and Christian influencers and, and uh, well-known Christian pastors were saying. And I, I took the things that they said seriously. I trusted these people and I trusted their beliefs and I trusted their, their theology. I trusted my spirit and my spiritual growth and my, my, my identity as a Christian to so much of what I was learning. So now I have to do that work to just unlearn and really take everything that I believed as a Christian and put each thing up against scripture I'm testing God on it. And I, I do 100% believe it's okay to do so. And asking him to reveal to me what is the truth here. 
And does it mean that I will ever fully know what the truth is? Does it mean that I will ever know 100% the answer? Will I absolutely screw it up and have interpretation that is still incorrect as a human being? Absolutely. But do I trust that if God is real, that he will reveal to me his truth? Absolutely. In fact, I was reading in Matthew the other day, and it's so crazy. Now that I have this new lens on, there's scripture that is jumping out to me like never before. And I was reading a scripture in Matthew, cannot remember what chapter and what verse, because I have never been someone that can just memorize those things. And like, kudos to those that can. But like, I used to think that it made me a bad Christian, and I'm not hanging on to that lie anymore. That's something that I've deconstructed and got thrown that out the window. Like, who cares if I can remember where it was? I remember reading something about how, listen, it, it was kind of like G Jesus was basically saying, what was done in the dark going to come out in the light. And I, and I will also reveal things to you that were done in darkness for you to speak in the light. What I reveal to you in the darkness, you speak it into the light is kind of what he was saying. And, and I, I had read that, that, that scripture time and time again, and I really had never underlined it or, or made under underlined it or made a note of it and the other day I was like oh my goodness this is exactly what he's doing he is showing me all of these all of these quote-unquote lies or just harmful and wrong interpretations of the Bible that have been used to identify and define Christianity. And he's showing me exactly how wrong it all has been. <laughs> One of them being that as Christians, we have to memorize scripture. And it's like, I, I, it's not that I think everything has been done maliciously, right? But I think that just, just as with anything, you know, as human beings, we attach our identities to things and we make them idols. And you know, when the Bible says to meditate on his word day and night, like absolutely, but nowhere does it say now thou shall memorize every scripture in this book. What? No, like you don't have to do that. But yet Christians make it this practice to like, okay, I've got to have my note cards and I've got to memorize a scripture. And what scripture are you meditating on this week? And have you recited it? And have you done this? And have you done that? Like it doesn't have to look like that. It does not have to look like that. And you don't have to be the kind of, the kind of Christian that can just you know, oh, it says in Psalm, da, 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 da. like you don't have to do that. You can still meditate on the word of God and know the word of God and never have memorized what book of the Bible or what chapter or what verse it came from, even if you've read it every single day, you know, like, and I think it's like, it's like, it's, it's small things like that. And then it's larger things like, you know, the purity culture movement, which I know is a huge one, especially, I mean, I think it's a huge one in both the black and the white church. It just looks a little bit different, but just the belief that, you know, women have to be modest and cover everything up because they don't want the man's gaze to, you know, a, a man to burn with lust and that it's our fault if a man, like all that stuff, like all, no, the Bible doesn't say none of that. <laughs> it's nowhere there. It, it's taking something that, is taking a scripture and, and just twisting it. It's, it's, it's so terrible. Or even just scripture that was never even there, like just, just stuff that's never even in the Bible. Like it's just, it's just so many things. I'm sorry. I'm going off on a tangent at this point, but that's an, those are examples of things to really just like deconstruct. Another one that I've been deconstructing lately is like, dang, like, is it okay if I curse? Like I, I've always felt like as a Christian, I shouldn't curse, even though I like y'all, I have been cursing since I was a teenager. Like, let's be real. My mama cursed, okay? And my friends cursed in middle and high school, and I've been cursing ever since. But when I got more, quote unquote, right with the Lord, I 
felt like I had to have this certain goody two shoes Christian image and a goody two shoes would never curse. It would never say such foul language and that and and I, I've, I've heard of course that you know even using replacement words is supposed to be bad. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we can't say a quote-unquote curse word. And I'm working on the research of this and I don't have it. I haven't really begun researching this, but I will be researching it. Like there's just the kind of the the development of curse words or words that are seen that are seen as naughty. But you guys, language is something that, you know, yes, God gave us language, of course, um, but it has been you know, humans have created it and have adapted it and has changed over time. And the words that we speak hold as much value and meaning as we allow them to. And as long as a curse word isn't cursing God directly or cursing somebody else directly, like the Bible tells us, like, do not curse someone else. But nowhere, if you if you drop a weight on your foot like I did and you say S-H-I-T, well, say it because that hurt. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, or, you know, there, there's when, 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 it, when expressing anger and frustration and hurt and you feel like in the middle of lamenting, you have to watch your tongue, like lament, do what you need to do. And sometimes that means saying a few choice words that can accurately express how you're feeling instead of feeling like you have to be so on the ball all the time. Now, granted, I understand that the fruit of the spirit is, you know, love, joy, peace, kindness. I'm probably saying this wrong, but patience, gentleness, and self-control. I get it. And I think that when we say, because these are the fruits of the spirit, that anytime we are not gentle or anytime we are not, you know, 100% controlled, we are sinful. But also... I think it's important to understand that each of these words is also subjective. You know what I'm saying? And, and there's, there's, I, I definitely believe that there's room for, for nuance in these things. I, I definitely think that it is unrealistic to expect any human being to never, ever, 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 ever show anger or say a curse word or get frustrated or what have you. And, and when it happens, I do not ever believe that the Lord is just wagging his finger at us like, mm -mm -mm, look at you. That wasn't, you know what I'm saying? Now, of course, again, if you're directing something at somebody, you're treating somebody with disrespect, you, you know, are not exercising self-control in a way that is causing you harm. You know, you, you out here spending your money recklessly. You're not exercising self-control with, with alcohol. You're not exercising self-control with, with healthy habits or whatever that may be. If you're any way it's causing you harm or causing somebody else harm. That, that's one thing. But like, if you stub your toe and you couldn't exercise self-control to say S-H-I-T like for real, you stubbed your toe. And it's things like that that like, we really take to the extreme. And it really honestly like inhibits us from just being able to live and be people and causing unnecessary shame. Like, I have to constantly watch my mouth and oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person because I said S-H-I-T. I shouldn't have done that. I stubbed my toe, but I still should have held my tongue no, like let go a little bit. Like that's, that's not, I think that that's just very unhealthy. It's taking what the Bible meant to be as 
yes, like words to live by, like that, that's what the Bible is for, but it's taking it and it's making it so unhealthy and so unnecessary. Um, and it's cause, and it's honestly making even an idol out of that. Everything can quickly become an idol. It's an idol now that I don't curse. It's an idol now that I have this, this Christian persona. It's an, it's become an idol that I say the right Christian words that I, that I say things like grace and blessed and season of life. And, you know, all the Christian words that Christians say, instead of, you know, just, just, just being, just being who you are and not making an idol of what it means to quote unquote, be a Christian. So that's a little bit of a tangent, but that's just an example of some of the things that like, even, even in my younger years have always kind of wrestled with because I really couldn't understand why these things are such a big of a deal. But I felt so much shame around the fact that like someone cut me off in the car and I said, you know, S-H-I-T. And I felt like shame around this and just letting go of that shame, letting go of that, of that feeling like I had to fit inside this, this Christian box has been the most liberating feeling that I have felt in a very long time. And I really, I really, anyone else in this struggle, I really wish that for everybody that's listening to this or that need just that, that has been stuck in this area. So you may be, you may be hearing this and, and, and asking yourself or, or maybe wanting me to touch on, okay, Caroline, so why now? Why have you decided what kind of, what was the straw that broke the camel's back that made you say, eh, this, this ain't all sitting right with me and I'm ready to deconstruct. I'm ready to figure out what's going on. And as with everything in my life, I, I always believe that the Lord opens your eyes when they're ready to be opened. He removes the scales when they're right, when he knows it's time to remove them. And he's the one that, that brings about our sight and in, in the physical and the literal and also the spiritual and the mental and the emotional, whatever else. And I think that in his perfect timing, he began to reveal things to me to the point where things came to a head. And I believe the pandemic was not, was something that God used to allow for this to begin to happen because really this, this movement has picked up mostly within the last two to three years, maybe from what I can see, I, I, I'm probably wrong, but from what I hadn't seen anything about this until 2020. And I think with the racial, as the media is calling it, racial reckoning or just racial movements, the black, the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement after the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and everything else. Um, and the, the church's response and lack of response and the fact that honestly, that's been happening since Trayvon Martin was murdered and, and everything else. And, and, and but but so many more people wanting to demand their churches and their their fellow Christians to have a response that that showed an empathy and that and that really owned the, the their complicity in racism and and so many churches instead revealed their racism and and allowed their racism to come to the surface. I believe that all of this has been happening at the same time for a reason. Like all like God has been using these things to reveal these 
for lack of, I don't say lack of better words, but like the, to reveal these practices that have been done in the so-called dark, right? The racism of the church, the, the complicit, the, 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 not just complicity of the racism of the church, but the creation of racism by the church. Like, let's be real. And the next episode, we'll talk about that in depth. But the creation of the racism, the creation of the patriarchal beliefs, the creation of the misogyn the, the misogynistic beliefs, you know, the, the, the creation of, of the harmful purity culture that has allowed for so many women to stay silent about their sexual abuse and stay in abusive marriages and, and so many other things. These, these harmful things have mostly all been done in the name of Jesus via the American church. Starting, not starting with, but one of the largest starting points in American history being the genocide of indigenous people and the enslavement of African people. Now, the, the justification, the, the, the biblical justification of enslavement is something that as, as black people, as African Americans, we've always known that. I, I, I've known that since I was a child. But this was something that as we began to reveal these things or we began to share these things, now that social media is such an ever-present, you know, force in our lives and has allowed us to, has given so many people that would have been silenced their entire lives a voice, it has allowed things to come to the surface that never would have come to the surface. And so now we have black folks speaking out about things and, and teaching things to white folks that white folks would have never learned because the church has been able to keep their secrets under wrap and, and, and create a narrative that they believe is, is true. And that, that's exactly what humans do. Whatever narrative is being portrayed by where your sphere of influence is, you're more than likely going to succumb to that narrative. You're more than likely going to believe it and follow it. So whatever that church looked like, whatever the, the, the media you listen to looks like, whatever people you follow, that's somebody you're submitting. You're submitting yourself under their authority and under their leadership and more than likely, you're going to believe whatever it is that they say. So historically speaking, if the pastors of, of, of churches all over America have told their congregations that enslavement was a good thing for black people, well, what is everyone going to believe? Enslavement was a good thing. If they, if they have told everybody that you know Jim Crow was justifiable because this is the way God ordained it, what are they going to believe? You know, if they... Um, and, and as generations have kind of come up, it's kind of this, kind of the same thing, right? Or maybe they, you know, maybe now they, they weren't really, no one was really preaching like, and we justified enslavement, you know, like, and, and no one's really preaching that, but just like the, the beliefs are still passed down from, from generation to generation. So, you know, the younger generations are, are either not being taught about it or taught about it in a way where it's no big deal or just never really knew that this was something that was created by the church and maybe they were just taught like okay well this is you know black people are like this or black people are like that or whatever narrative that has that has been kind of just modified for the next generation right so you're gonna believe those things 
So this is the first time that I think there's been a, such a huge crossover where people that wouldn't normally hear from other people, white folks that wouldn't normally hear from black folks and, and, and other people of color and vice versa have now been able to hear from each other and been like, oh, dang, this has been going on this entire time. You know, black people live in an entirely different America and we're finally being able to kind of share what that other side of America looks like and feels like and and a large part of that has to do with church. And as a result, some other folks' eyes have been opened. And that's why we are seeing such a rise in this deconstruction era that we have entered into. And and not even not even just the awareness that's that social media and these last few years and even decade of activism have brought to light. Our millennial generation, I firmly believe, is the generation uh, is the generation of trauma and cycle and harmful abuse breakers. Like I, I firmly believe that is what God has assigned our generation to. We are literally the first generation that has been able to look at the the harmful cycles of abuse from previous generations and have the boldness to stand up and say, this isn't right. We have to do something about this. And just because it's been the norm and just because it's been a status quo for such a long time doesn't make it right. We are carrying years of generational trauma in our, in our hearts and in our spirits and we've been breaking down because of them. And we are saying no more. We, we, it ends with us. We cannot pass this on to our children. That is why we see all of these spaces of influencers and leaders and thought leaders from gentle parenting to health and wellness to our activism to really, you know, in beauty standards, you know, people that are breaking the cycles of, of, um, of eating disorders and body dysmorphia, all of these things. We are all in this millennial generation. Those of us that are in our 30s and 40s are saying, this ain't it, this wasn't it, and it ends with us. And th through the medium of the media and being able to raise our voices that were once silenced, and having more voices out there that were once never even would ever even imagine having the opportunity to be heard, these movements are happening and we are slowly breaking down the barriers. And it's hard work and it's it's difficult. That's the same thing twice, but you know what I'm saying? It's 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 difficult, difficult work, but like it is being done. There's, it is no accident that this is happening, not only in the church, but in almost every single area of our lives. And that's because we are waking up to the fact that our, the culture of our society has some serious flaws and flaws is a nice word. That's like watering it down. <laughs> Let's be real. That is sprinkling nice you know, a nice, a nice touch onto it. But th that's, that's why we're seeing this. It's not just the church. It's, it's not just because of the last couple of years. 
it is because our generation is tired of carrying trauma that we do not deserve to carry, never deserve to carry, and sure as heck will not pass on to the next generation. That said, coming back to actually deconstructing faith, I want to quickly touch on some of the things that I have been learning, things that I have personally been deconstructing. One of the biggest things that's not, and I know I talked a lot about racism and, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be such a pivotal thing for me. That's going to be so important because I am a black woman and that's, that is my culture. That's my identity. That's who I am. And that's always going to be at the core of, of everything. But even out, you know, outside of that, just in, in being a human being, one of the first things I actually began deconstructing or realizing, number one, is is um, the how I was coerced into serving and feeling like in order to be a good Christian, I needed to be serving and needed to always be involved in the local church at all costs. And that basically my status of Christianity was 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 linked to how much I was serving in the church. And if I wasn't there on a Sunday, I was a bad Christian. And I, I it, yeah, that's, that's a very nasty, um, harmful theological tactic that happens in all churches, not just evangelical churches, but I've experienced it in the black church and I've experienced it in evangelical churches. So that is something that I've had to really unlearn. And being in a pandemic for the last two years and not being able to attend church and realizing that my status as a follower of Jesus does not change. I can do nothing in serving the Lord and 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 how much he loves me and him being with me and him providing for me and all of those things does not change. And when you are indoctrinated in, into the belief that you are better when you are doing things that come across as holier and you don't do those things. It, it's a very difficult thing to unlearn. There's a lot of shame that comes with that in believing that you are not, quote unquote, right with God if you aren't performing your Christian duties. And that is terrible theology because nowhere in the Bible does it say that. It says that the local church is important. Absolutely. It says to serve one another. Absolutely. But the way that those scriptures have been taken and used um, for the purpose of coercing people to be unpaid volunteers of the church to a point of it almost being a full-time job is, is absolutely wrong. And that, that was like one of the first things that I realized I was burned out and I was allowing myself to be burned out. I was allowing myself to overperform in this area and I was allowing other things that were that were important like my marriage and my motherhood to slip because of the amount that I felt like I needed to be involved in the church. Um so unlearning that and realizing like that was all trash. It was that was it was that's that's never that's never the case. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be a part of our local church. I'm not saying that serving isn't a good thing. But to a healthy degree, to a degree that that adds ease and a, a light, a lightness to your, to your walk with the Lord, not a burden because nothing that we do for the Lord should ever be a burden. Not that it won't be difficult, but it shouldn't be a burden. And that's two different things.
So I've been learning that. Um, I've also just been learning about like, you know, just, just the thought, just the belief that, you know, good Christians get married young and not that, don't get me wrong. I do not regret my marriage. I do not regret my children. I believe that that was the route that God, that God set for me. But I also had a belief that I was supposed to marry young, that I was supposed to, you know, find my guy, not date around too much, that, you know, if, if I can get married, that's like, that's the answer. And that I was lucky to have found my guy. And, you know, of course, like I, because I do live in submission to the Lord still, I know that like my husband is my husband and my children. And I'm not saying that, but just having like that weight of like, this is a supposed to versus like a, this is just what God has for me. And that's great. But it's not like, it's not the way that I have to do things because I'm a Christian. I think that's, that's like the biggest part right there. And knowing that like, if I wanted to date around or if I had the opportunity to date around or, or when I was dating around, like that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be a single woman. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of healthy discourse about this. Did I say that right? Um, in church conversations, I've seen that. I've seen being content in your singleness and things of that nature. But we still put too much of an emphasis on your singleness. And you know, and like even that, like be content in your singleness. How about be content in you? Like, doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Like we put too much emphasis on the end goal being marriage, the accomplishment being marriage. The accomplishment is not marriage. That is not an accomplishment. Marriage is just deciding to do life with another person and saying like, I'm going to go to bat for you and you're going to go to bat for me and we're going to come together and create a family and continue this marathon together. But it's no more of an accomplishment than someone that chooses to be single or is still or is single or whatever or has been married before. Like, it's no more of an accomplishment to be married and have kids and to not be married and have kids. And in the church, we treat it like it's an accomplishment, like it's an end goal. And that in, and we, 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 we talk about being content in singleness as if like we, you know, we're, we're kind of like marking the days until singleness is no longer, is, is, is no longer our reality. And like, what happens if it is, maybe that is going to be your reality. And you know what? That's okay. So I think there, there's there's a lot of toxic ways that we communicate about marriage and relationships in the church. And I know that a lot of faith deconstructors would agree there. And that also comes from the purity culture stuff. Not going to go into that too much. I think a lot of us know what that's all about, but just kind of like, you know, the belief that like it's our responsibility as women to be modest, to, to modest, to not make a man turn, um, that it's our fault if they're turning and looking at us. We can't be too revealing at all, all you know, all the ownership on the woman this comes from a very misogynistic and patriarchal um, viewpoint. Again, very harmful, very toxic, and very much exactly what the church is about. And it takes that idea that the man being the head of the household, and it takes it and it runs with it to a very unhealthy place. And I'm not going to get into all of that. And I can do another episode on that maybe later on down the line, um, more specifically. But I, I'm not a I'm not a theology teacher, so I also like to make sure that I'm not trying to persuade too much, but just like do your own research about that. Do your own research about what it really means to be in submission to each other, because that's what the Bible says, that we are to submit to one another. And that headship, the way that headship is described in the church versus what the Lord actually meant, two very different things. So I'll leave that to you to kind of look into, research yourself. But a lot of what we hear in the church is very, um, is very toxic and just kind of takes those scriptures and runs with it. Um, 
I think I mentioned before, like just being ashamed to curse, being ashamed to, to be a sexual being, to love my curse, to love my body, to show a little skin sometimes, to, you know, listen to some music that's not church music, to want to like, eh, you know, like do a little something, something like just be a whole human, like to have fun. Like, honestly, I was so uptight in my, in the prime of my Christian days that I really didn't allow myself to have fun. And I'm not saying I'm trying to be out here wilding out, but at the same time, like let loose a little bit, like take the stick out your butt, Caroline. Like that's really, you know, like I feel like I missed out on some opportunities just to have a little fun. And I'm not saying to be, like I said, to wild out or to, to be slobbering all over the place, intoxicated doing the most. I'm just talking about having some lighthearted fun and that my only fun things that I do don't have to be when I get together for small group. Like I can actually go and be like a woman and really explore my womanhood. And I think that's something I'm, I'm leaning into more now is exploring my womanhood, exploring what that means and allowing myself to enjoy being a modern woman without feeling like I have to check off certain boxes. And I know that just in, just in still being dedicated to the Lord and walking with God, I'm going to present myself well, but I don't have to force it. And I think that's the biggest thing. We try to force it, you know, as if, as if humanity is a bad thing. And the thing is, it's not. Yes, humans are sinful, but humanity is also made perfect in God's image. So let's be human, right? Um, and then a big thing I'll say is um, I didn't realize how much I idolized white Christianity as ideal Christianity. And that, that, was, that, that, was, that was something that I really had to sit with. I really believed because I went to, I grew up in the black church, but when I was growing up in church, I never really received a lot from it. And it's not the church's fault. It was probably just the fact that like my mom, you know, her relationship with God was very much like I go on Sundays, you know, I give $20 to the plate and I come back home, you know, listen to gospel music here and there. But there was never really like a lot of conversation between my mom and I about like, you know, having a relationship with God. So I kind of equated, I, I, as, a, as a young adult, I began to think that the black church was the problem. That when I saw this outpouring of love that white Christians, when I went to my first Jesus Culture Conference, had towards God and that it, everything felt softer and more beautiful and more, and be, more beautiful and more fluffy, I began to think that white Christianity was the way to go and that black Christianity need, needed to go. And I, I literally took it out of my life. I said, I don't want to be at a black church anymore. I only want to be at these churches that are like non-denominational and multicultural and come as you are. And I can be this like little hipster and I can wear my, je you know, and, and a part of that was just me being attracted to that. And I think like there's, you know, there, there's elements to like, you know, having less of a tightness about church. Like, sure. It, honestly, it doesn't matter. Like it is what it, it is, what it is. Like whatever floats your boat, God really doesn't care whether you wear your Sunday's best or you don't. But I, I began to get into my head that this was a better way of worship. It was a holier way of worship and that the black church is about performance and it was very incorrect. And that's what white supremacy does. White supremacy tricks you into believing that whiteness is better, right? 
So I allowed the the superiority of the white church and what they present to to really brainwash me in a way that had me denying my blackness. But then when it came to wanting my blackness to be celebrated and when it came to wanting my blackness to be to be honored and when it came for wanting my black life to matter, the white church was silent. And that's when I realized that there was a problem here. And when I dug deeper is when I found the racism of the white church and felt like I had been betrayed. So jokes on me at this point. And I felt I felt so bamboozled and so hurt. Like, oh wow, like I really allowed this 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 style of Christianity to make me believe that my black the blackness of in, in the black church was 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 the problem when in reality it's actually the white church that's the problem that 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 in, that encouraged the the creation of the black church and is the reason why the the black community has gotten to where they've gotten in the first place so i really had to like repent and in, in denying my black culture especially when it came to my my religion and 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 now i'm now i'm coming back home to it and realizing that the black church was never in the wrong. And I'm not saying that the, that that the way that 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 evangelical non-denominational white-led churches worship itself is incorrect. It's all beautiful, but what I'm saying is it's incorrect when the white church, the white evangelical church is number 1 valuing white supremacy culture and up, and upholding white supremacy culture and two basically continuing to be the, some of the leading perpetrators of racism in America. So yeah, that is incorrect. And th there's really nothing else to say to that. That that's at the end of the day, I was still a, 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 a token in the church that I was attending and, and I refuse to be a token anymore. So there's so much more that I could get into, but that's, that's where I'm at. And I'm, I'm, I'm still really in the thick of it. My love for God hasn't changed any, but my love for the religion, the Christianity, even saying that I'm a Christian, we're on the fence. We're, we're, we're really trying to figure things out. And it's an okay place to be because I know that if God is real, like I believe him to be, then he's right there with me and he's right there with you in whatever wherever you are on your journey as well. Even if you're not on one of these journeys, if you're, if you're, happy with where you're at, then that's wonderful. But I do hope that if you are someone who is a Christian listening to this and is not deconstructing their faith and is just continuing to walk exactly how they were walking before without questioning anything, making sure that theology is sound, you know, looking into racism, looking into white supremacy in the church, et cetera, et cetera. I hope that you are not judging somebody else for doing so. And recognizing that if you believe that God's talking to you a certain way, that God is talking to all of us and that there should never be any shame or judgment towards anyone for where they're at in their walk with the Lord ever, ever. And the amount of hatred and judgment and shame that I'm hearing on social media from pastors about people that are deconstructing is disgusting. And about people that walk away from the church. Because you know what? If people walk away from the church, the church is not doing their job. That's not on the person. It's on the church. Period. Point blank. So there should never be any judgment towards somebody who is in a journey. 
of deconstructing, reconstructing, figuring it out, not sure where they are. That is one of the most quote unquote unchrist like things anyone can do. As you know, darn good and well that Jesus himself would not be standing on no pulpit talking about how dare you. But he would be talking about how dare you Pharisee like people who are, you know, basically that, that are, who, whom, whom are blasphemous at this point. Right. That that that's 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 the Jesus in the Bible. So I'm going to end this with a little just reflection about how I'm feeling right now. And I mean, I'm still in a place of hurt. I'm still in a place of confused. I think that the being feeling a little confused sometimes I feel strong in my faith in God and strong in my relationship with him. But I don't have a desire to go back to church like ever again. And that kind of scares me um, because I don't know what to do with that. You know, if I do go back to a church, I know what kind of church I'm looking for. And I also think that that's like not possible to find, um, especially where I'm at. But even before I get to that point, I'm having to sit with the fact that like, I do not feel safe in a church building right now. And that is not make me a bad Christian is not make me a bad follower of Jesus. And that is okay. And it's okay that I am hurt because humans hurt other people and it's okay to take time to heal. And I know when it will, I have to trust that I'll know when it's time to take the next step because the Lord will, will tell it to me and I'll know in my spirit when it's time to move. And then I have to constantly remind myself and constantly not let, you know, the enemy come into my mind and say that I'm doing something wrong because I'm not doing X, Y, and Z when it comes to church right now. So it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting place to be in, but it's, it's a place that I am glad that I'm in because I'm confident in the fruit that's going to come out on the other side. Whew, lots of stuff in this episode, y'all. Um, but I'm so appreciative of you guys being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please, 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 please. Let's continue this discussion in a couple different places. One, the comment section on my Instagram. If you're not following me, the link is in the show notes. You can follow me there. And I always have a post in, related to a podcast episode and we can definitely have a conversation in the comment section or you guys can have a conversation with each other. But also I would love to dive in deeper. Um, on this Friday's weekly Q&A that's in my Patreon. So just for $5 a month, you can join my Patreon, support my work. And every week we have a Q&A thread. Sometimes people show up and ask questions. Sometimes people don't. It just definitely depends on what you guys have. But it's always open there for you. I start a thread sometime in the afternoon. And you guys come in and ask me questions. And we have a conversation about whatever's on your mind. And so this being a podcast episode week, I will bring this up and see if anyone wants to chat about this because I definitely think this is a good one. And oh, you know what, I'm, I'm forgetting something this Friday is actually our monthly live stream. Um, so the Q&A will be live this Friday instead of just via a chat. So still be on the lookout on Patreon. If you are a Patreon subscriber, you'll get the information in there. If not, join us for $5 a month and then you'll you know have access to the Patreon dashboard where you'll see all of the posts and announcements and you'll get information about the live stream, where to catch it, how to, how to access it, how to ask questions, things like that. So that's where I have most of my conversations is there. Um, and of course, and as always, I'll see you in the next episode in a couple of weeks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Meant for This. You can check out the show notes for this episode at carolinejsomlin.com slash blog. 
If you love what you heard today, I'd love it if you left me a five-star review on iTunes and subscribe to the show. Also, I'd love to hear from you. If you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of today's episode was by taking a screenshot of you listening to the show, sharing it to your Instagram stories, and tagging me so I can see it and connect with you. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. I'll see you next time. Bye.